Hello, this is Hernando Arce, Acquisitions Partner at Hilco Homes, and you're listening to Hilco Homes Podcast. And this is Mike, your usual host. Um, Alex is not here with us today for our podcast, um, but I have Hernando. And today yeah. we are going to talk about an uh, interesting topic, the differences in real estate and real estate investing um, between Texas and New York. So, Hernando, you are originally from New York. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into real estate. Uh, I know we've had you on the show before and you talked a little bit about it, but for any of our new listeners, um, tell us a little bit about um, how you got started in real estate, why New York, um, and why Texas? Exactly. No, great. And it's it's a pleasure to be with you here, Mike, on this podcast. Thank you for the invitation. so a little bit about myself, uh, I was born and raised in New York City, Brooklyn, New York, and uh, long story short, I'll jump into, right you now after high school, joined the Navy Reserve, went to college, I was driving a yellow taxi cab, which my mother owned, and she, you know, she raised seven children by herself, driving a yellow taxi cab, and that was her day job, she actually had a night job cleaning office spaces in Manhattan, uh, and, uh, and from there... Uh, after getting my degrees, I, I started a publication for the taxi industry, which is still in production today. I get royalty fees off of that. Uh, and that's where I met my mentor. And he taught me uh, everything from how to dress and how to talk and how to perform and how to write up a contract in the, in, in the publishing business. And from there, uh, after we were very successful, I, I was bored and I wanted to get into a new career. And I was thinking, uh, well, you know, I'm a salesman. I already know that because I was doing sales for the magazine, the publication. Uh, what what industry can I go into? And I was thinking car. I was thinking car dealership. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking insurance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're going to uh, go into a franchise or what? I'm just going to be a regular, you know, insurance guy. You know, do my thing. Start your start sales. your own branch. No, I wasn't even business. thinking about opening up my own branch. Just become an agent as a sales agent. Okay. And then I said, well, which industry can offer me the best commission per transaction? Mm-hmm. So I broke it down like that, and it was real estate. It was a no-brainer. So from there, I started with Century 21 in the mid-90s. This is going back 95. Yeah, yeah. And there was barely any internet. There were no <laughs> laptops, right? Yeah. I mean, there wasn't even MLS online like right. we have here in Texas, Sabor. Yeah. It was a, a big index book that you look through the pages to find your house <laughs> it was old school you know we used to put ads in newspapers right we used to go chasing for sale by owners in newspapers which are called fizzbells by the way anyway long story so get into my real estate i joined a real estate firm and uh, i've been doing this since 95 in new york and now i moved here in texas okay so i i assume that by this point you know you've got you've got your sales experience and you're learning a new industry. Um, how long were you in? Did it take you in the real estate industry, like changing from publication and magazine stuff mm-hmm. to getting into real estate? How long did it take you to uh, become an investor? Like when you got your first right. investment property, okay. um, did it take you very long, or did it was that kind uh, of like a no brainer? Is that part of the, the plan? That's a great question, Mike. Because you know I was 25 years old at the time, mm-hmm. single, whatever, right? I didn't really have those 
those goals, to be honest with you. I, all, I know, all I knew was I wanted to sell houses and make a lot of money, which I did. Uh, but thank God I did put into my, I don't know how, but I guess my mother put it into me that by the time I'm 30 years old, I should have my first property. So mm-hmm. that's what happened, actually, that, you know, with the grace of God. Uh, at 30 years old, my mom finally kicked me out of my house, her house, <laughs> right? I was paying her rent, though, yeah. every month since I was 14 years old. Okay. I was paying her $350, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. Oh, she would just throw you out. That's how savvy she, she was a businesswoman. <laughs> so either you go to school or you pay rent, you know, and I yeah, pay yeah. rent religiously every month on time. And uh, I actually helped her buy her first house. I gave her uh, the, the uh, closing costs to purchase her first house. Okay. And, and I was still in high school at the time. So uh, to answer your question, uh, 30 years old, I bought my first property uh, and I, we fixed and flipped it actually. And okay. this, this is the beginning of the real estate boom. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right. So right. like that was what? 2000. Yeah, 2000. 2000. Yeah, I remember like it was yesterday. I think the height was like at 2002, mm-hmm. 2003. Right, right. And then that's when like the exactly. really shady lending started happening. And then right. it kind of just took off. Right. Um, right. But it was more of a steady growth. It wasn't like a, right. a, a sudden spike. No, it was a steady growth. Um, right. And I think that's why a lot of people were surprised with the crash because yeah. they, it, there was no like trend right. showing that it was going to suddenly change. Or that's happen. true. Yeah. It kind of happened over, kind of overnight. But yeah. there was a tech boom that crashed in 2000. Yeah. And that affected the industry. And there was 9 11, 2001, that affected yeah, the industry. Absolutely. But I remember it vividly. It, it affected from, from New York anyway. It only affected it for six months. And it was back to business. Yeah. It was yeah. really crazy. Wow. So, yeah, that's the story. I remember in the 90s, the interest rates were 8 9%. Okay. Um, prices of homes were relatively inexpensive in New York, not like they are now. But. So a lot of your real estate experience in New York was it was single family residential or did you do multifamily apartments commercial mm-hmm. right. kind of a little bit of everything as an agent or Good question. Uh, did you specialize in something? Well, City Twenty One is a you know franchise and they, they you know your bread and butter is single family homes. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did mostly single family. I dabbled with some condos and then there's this other market that people don't really understand outside of New York is called co ops. Sure. Yeah. You heard of them? Co-op, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cooperatives. Yeah. I mean, I I lived in uh, in Rhode Island and I spent a lot of time in the New England area, and that's kind of there's a, a lot yeah. of spillover of the New York oh, yeah. real estate style okay. um, of, of right. operations up there. Um, I, I think probably the most interesting thing that um, I experienced as far as real estate goes in that area were the uh, the multi-family, multi-level houses where you buy one house that each floor is a different unit, mm-hmm. um, right. which you don't have here in Texas. You no, know, we, like, we're vertical. Right. As opposed to horizontal. Right. And, yeah. and that was that was new to me. Oh, yeah. You know, like uh, yeah. going to someone's house and then they're like, oh yeah, we're on the third floor. And, um, you know, you, I show up and mm. it's like an actual house. And right. <laughs> Three, four, that was That was different, but, but yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, for those who don't know what co-op is in the okay. audience here, it's basically uh, like a uh, like the way they explain it. It's like buying a corporation in the stock market mm-hmm. where you own shares of a Coca-Cola stock. Sure, that's what a co-op is. Except the Coca-Cola bottle is a, a actual brick and mortar building, mm-hmm. and each tenant slash you know quote unquote tenant or a shareholder who owns a unit. These are usually apartments, not houses. Okay? Right. They own shares of that corporation, right? And they have so how is that how state. is that different from a real estate investment trust? 
Well, real estate investment trust is, is more of a, a syndication of of investors putting their money together. To right, it's more of like a fund. Project. Right, more but, of a fund, right. So a co-op, uh, I guess, yeah, to, to be a little uh, more of the nuances, a co-op mm-hmm. is more of um, a group of investors owning a single physical property, right. whereas a real estate investment trust is a group of investors owning shares of a fund right. that owns the properties. Right, correct? Right, exactly. Okay. But then, and, and with the with the writ, with the REIT, like you said, being real estate investment trust, you don't live in the property. Here, right. this is your primary home. Okay. You okay. Know? It has to be a primary home, by the way. Okay. Because in order to buy a, a co-op unit apartment, you have to get interviewed, and they can reject mm-hmm. you for every day for whatever reason you want. Yeah, I've had people reject. That's a that's a really uh, a really big difference mm-hmm. from yeah. Texas and uh, yeah. New York real estate. Uh, yeah. um, I've had buyers who were rejected that offered full offer on the apartment, bought it all, wanted to buy all cash, right? They, he was mm-hmm. a doctor, and the, and then the board says, um, your your application says you have some bank accounts overseas. We want to see them. <laughs> <laughs> the bank, the doctor was like, "What? What the hell? You need to see my bank accounts overseas? For well, fuck you, man." Uh, okay, denied. Have a nice day. Wow. <laughs> I, was, I was upset because that was a nice commission. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, right. how how do you? Uh, I know. I still am kind of new to that part of buying the apartments. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that works. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it more of like a condo? Uh, yeah. way that they do it or is it just strictly like the co-ops because that's something that I, I still haven't really understood mm-hmm. um, right. at least for that for the, the New York market I know that's kind of unique right um, co-ops are I remember, similar to condos very similar yeah yeah because I, I remember having a conversation right. one time with an Australian who uh, and this is common in Australia where you actually sell the apartments mm-hmm. um, like they're it, like you would with a condo here in the US but mm-hmm. they, that's a, actually a very common practice where you mm. you buy uh, an apartment like you, it's not a physical building it's a portion of a building and you mm. own title and deed to it mm-hmm. um, kind of like you would with, with a condo but mm-hmm. um, to my knowledge there really aren't a lot of places in the U.S. that have anything similar to that outside of New York um, yeah, yeah and I, I know there's something like that very similar going on like in Seattle um, that's that's kind of like a, a new thing there but um, I think the yeah. Probably the closest thing to that would be in New York. Probably. Um, so <clears throat> I guess some of the questions right. that that I have are in terms of like the differences would be like taxes and closing costs. Mm-hmm. Like how, how for an investor looking to purchase a property mm-hmm. in Texas compared to New York, like what are the things they would have to be aware of? We're talking real estate in general. Yeah, now? just real estate okay. in general. Yeah. Uh, as an investor in New York compared to Texas. So. Are we talking residential, like retail yeah. market, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or more the investment part of it? Uh, the investment part. Investment part. Well, let, let's. I guess let's focus a little bit more because, like you know, here at Hilco, we're a wholesale company, right. and our audience are probably investors who purchase right. from wholesalers. Mm-hmm. So, if you were to wholesale a deal in New York, like you have a contract mm-hmm. on a property, and mm-hmm. you're going to sell it to the investor who is the right. end buyer, right. whether they keep it as a rental, they do it as a flip, mm-hmm. or whatever they decide to do, they still have to purchase it. Right. So, what are the things that they would have to know or be aware of when mm-hmm. they're going to the closing table? Well, I, I could tell you from just from the, from the off the off the gate that the whole wholesale industry. It is pretty much controlled by 
by a small group of people in New York. And I've been in the business 25 years, 20 years in New York before I got here. And I've never heard of wholesaling over there. Yeah. Yeah. It's really uh, something that's not in the everyday media or, or in, sure. in, out there in the in the market as promoted as it is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they were cash buyers and then you could buy a property. All the fix and flips and all the foreclosures, there was a lot of foreclosures that were purchased at below market values, uh, all were controlled by this, this market, this group of people. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to get in there, almost impossible. Okay. Uh, yeah, there were one or two that were outside that group, but it was, it, it was such a controlled market that I, I had never had an opportunity to get it, to, to infiltrate it. Uh, and so I never did wholesaling. Now, with that said, Yes, if you if you're a buyer looking to purchase in New York City or New York State for that matter, uh, remember, an agent or a, a citizen of that state cannot write up a contract of sale without an attorney. Really? Right. So. So you have to factor in attorneys' fees and all that yeah. stuff. So, the to write up a contract of sale, it, does the agent? or whoever the seller is, do they have to pay the attorney up front or is that something that the attorney gets paid at closing? Yeah, most most attorneys uh, want a retainer fee. You know, not a lot because most attorneys for real estate transactions are gonna charge you anywhere from 1000 to $1,500. Mm-hmm. Depends on how complicated the deal is. But yeah, you have you have no control over that. That's regulated by the state of huh. New York. And that's obstacle number one because some attorneys and this is as an agent. It, it would sometimes take them two, three weeks to write up a contract. Yeah. yeah. Whereas here, I could write up a contract in two minutes. I'll just jump on my laptop, download the, the doc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't do that in New York, so you, you know, you're stuck. That's your first obstacle. So you know. Yeah, and I know. I like I said, I, I was in uh, New England for a while, and I right. know in Massachusetts, um, the housing laws are are skewed very, very much to the renter rather than the landlord. Right. Um, so there's a, a lot of loopholes. I mean, not loopholes, hurdles rather hurdles, yeah. I, uh, that I'm, you gotta you gotta jump through just I'm, to get yeah. the contract put together. I'm in court now with one of my tenants. He's been living there now what four months. He hasn't paid rent, and I still got two or three more months for him to be living there rent free. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be six to eight months before he's out if I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so. I know, in like in Massachusetts, if you you have to, um, there's like a certain uh, set of criteria that you need to meet to uh, start yeah. the eviction process if, yeah. a, if a tenant isn't paying. And if that process happens to start in like October mm. and the, you take it before a judge and the judge is like, well, winter's coming, it's going to be cold and this right. person doesn't have a place to go. Yeah. So let's come revisit this at, you know, like maybe right. in February or March. Mm. Well, that, now you got uh, like what, four or five months of this person staying in your house rent free. Mm. Yeah. Until the judge can rule otherwise. Yeah, he doesn't care about my mortgage payments. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. It's very 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 different mm-hmm. uh, environment. Uh, to, it is here. Texas. Yeah. Texas is very landlord friendly. Not New York. New York is tenant friendly. So when you uh, so I'm assuming when you first heard about wholesaling, it was after you got to Texas. Correct? Yeah, after I got to Texas. I mean, that's like it's like the like, wild wild west. Really. <laughs> yeah. Was like, it was uh, it pretty quick when you got here? He's like you you showed up, start talking real estate with someone, and then the first thing out of their mouth was wholesaling. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I did get my license as an agent, but I'm inactive right now because you don't really want to be active as an agent and still be wholesaling. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of disclosures involved. Sure. But yeah, once I heard about wholesaling, I was like, what does that mean? What are you wholesaling? 
<laughs> and so I did my, you know, get on YouTube and did my research, and it's 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 great. I think you can make more money as a wholesaler than as an agent, because uh, you know, agent, you're you're bound to your six percent commission or less. And here in this wholesale, you're there, there is no cap. You can make as much money as you right, like on right. a deal, as long as everybody eats at the end of the day. Right, right. And um, it's also just a different environment too. I mean, as a as a real estate agent, um, I think. Well, right now, because of the the economic climate, um, both areas are very saturated. Like everybody is a real estate agent, and everybody's yeah. also a wholesaler. Right. You know, like, uh, but you know, you really so, don't you really don't know who the real ones are from the ones that you know right. they just YouTube did, Googled it, or whatever, and they say, yeah. "I'm going to do this," and oh, tomorrow, man. like, that's their first thing. Yeah, well, you know the old rule: eighty twenty percent of the wholesalers in any any market is doing. 80% of the deals. 20% is doing 80% of the deals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's just the way business is. Right. And, you know, in the next economic downturn, we'll, we'll find out who the, the mm. real ones are and who, who the fake ones are. That's right. Um, because, you know, if you're running a wholesale operation and you have, a, a, you know, an actual business, if, you're, if you got some business sense, you'll have some, you know, mm-hmm. things put in place to help protect okay, you. here's what I found. Oops. That was right. what's her name? Siri, <laughs> my new girlfriend. I just got a, I just got an iPhone. I moved into the twenty first century. My <laughs> nice. first iPhone. Nice. <clears throat> but yeah, like um, you know, if you're if you're in, in business and you have any kind of business sense, or you know, most people who are are growing a business will uh, naturally gravitate to a mentor of some kind who has mm-hmm. done what they want to do. Um, or it can at least point them in the right direction to give them the resources to help them grow in that direction. But, mm-hmm. you know, most people who are uh, building a legitimate, um, solid uh, business, uh, regardless of, the, of industry, but right. in this case in wholesaling, you know, you'll have uh, systems and processes in place so that in the economic downturns, um, you have some protections. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think one of the really nice things about a wholesale business is that. For the most part, um, wholesalers uh, are part of what you know is referred to as an acquisitions team. So you are an acquisitions partner here at Hillco Homes, right. and whatever organization you're a part of, um, they're going to have their own acquisitions team and their right. own salespeople and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, those people are all independent contractors, right. so they're not technically employees. Mm-hmm. Which for a wholesale business, that's great because that totally cuts your overhead from down to really just you know operation expenses of you know marketing budget um an office space uh maybe your website and your domain or whatever um Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much it so it really does cut down on your on your business expenses and maximizes your return on, on operations but even then like that that's really telling because in a market downturn like the last market you know that there was wholesalers and quote unquote investors all over San Antonio. But uh-huh. then after 2009, yeah. even all the way through like maybe t- 2013, mm. um, there are really only a couple of names in town. Is that right? You know? uh, I wasn't here for that. But okay. and, and as the, the market started to come mm. back and recover, um, you know, one of the great things about Texas is that it's a, it's a very resilient market. Right. Um, so 
Yeah, we did have, we did experience the recession, but Mm -hmm. we were like the last ones to experience it. Mm -hmm. And we were the first ones to start the recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that upswing came, uh, started really fast for us Mm -hmm. uh, and it was very steady. And then that's when the market started to come back where, you know, everybody's a wholesaler, everyone's an investor. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems like there's even more people now uh, in San Antonio who are quote unquote investors. Social media now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's more concentrated. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen during the next economic downturn. Yeah, and I'm seeing the same images that I saw right before the housing collapse of 08. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing it now where the, the prices, of course, have, have jumped. And I'm seeing the, the number of agents, like you said, in the business. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know, what, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But, you know, history does repeat itself. And real estate is, is secular. So that's, that shouldn't be surprised to nobody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, New York took a big hit. <clears throat> New York, I remember with the 08 collapse, uh, the prices went down from, let's say, uh, uh, $400,000 home. It went probably down to, like, you know, two seventy five, wow, two fifty, almost a fifty percent, almost fifty. I would say more like a thirty. I remember it was thirty to forty. So that was a sweet spot. On, That's a pretty on heavy average. hit. Yeah, but there were other states that were hit harder, like Nevada and yeah, Florida. Absolutely, so we did get hit hard, and uh, it took us uh, at least. I remember it was three or four years to start. We start seeing the prices go back in two thousand and eleven. Is when the prices started slowly creep up. So, and, and why do you think? Uh, in New York, because we're that's kind of our topic for right. for today's conversation. Why do you think in New York, um, the that correction was so dramatic? Um, I want to mm. kind of just dramatic, okay. like what right. for for boots on the ground and from your perspective, mm-hmm. what, what what would you say is like one of those the leading causes for the housing crash to be so mm-hmm. pronounced as it was? Right, I'd probably say it's because of the. Uh, all the loans that were processed in that state, uh, remember countrywide, you know, all you needed was a heartbeat and they'll give you a loan, <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Uh, what do they call those loans? Uh, they have a name for them. Uh, stated income loans. Stated income loans. And then they, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, you buy a house, you could buy a house with zero down and they'll pay your closing cost. I remember when I bought my second house, I had to. I owe the IRS like twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> really, I had a, a judgment because mm-hmm. I was selling real estate. You know how real estate agents—they don't pay their taxes until they have to. And I, I bought a, I bought, I got a contract with a property. Uh, no, no money down. They pay my closing costs, and then on top of it, they were actually, they actually paid off my IRS loan, my IRS debt. Yeah, and I'm the buyer. I'm not even the seller. There's no proceeds here. I'm the buyer, <laughs> and I was like, and it was a countrywide agent that did it. Country, was, she was so slick with her numbers, um, and not only that, uh, I, I was. I, I'll, I'll be admitted, I was part of that group that bought properties with these type of programs, uh, and there was actually I bought another property with it was called negative amortization. Loan. Yeah, you remember yeah. that? Yeah. The, the, the principal they're not goes very up. common but uh, yeah I've heard of those yeah yeah the principal goes up during the loan or the, uh, up during every payment they don't go down the principal the principal goes up and, and you get it for like our sweet interest rate and, and they had some type of balloon on it or some sort yeah. I forgot what it was but holy shit there were crazy programs out there so that's why the city took, the state took probably big hate because of all these frivolous loans 
Yeah, well, not just the frivolous loans, but the volume of loans. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think uh, international investors or purchases from uh, from foreign either businesses or individuals um, kind of drove up that that demand for, for yeah. the market? Well, the, the international buyer market is concentrated in Manhattan, New York City, not Brooklyn, not Queens, not the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. With J Lo's from, so, <laughs> so these international buyers buy in Manhattan, and a lot of them buy because they get uh, special visa. Uh, sure. Accommodations for to, yeah, to yeah. become citizens, and and the Asians are popular with that. The Chinese, I think uh, it was yeah. called the HB one visa or some sort. Of right, right. And you, uh, minimum five hundred thousand dollars, and you can become an automatic citizen. And you got chain migration with the family as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Chinese and Europeans they would funnel their money together for a project, uh, and to build a new building or something. So they would use those visa programs. But that's the international market that was mostly concentrated in Manhattan. Uh, and then yeah, they, it's normally it's normally like that in the in the larger city yeah, centers. Miami. Like you got Miami and Houston, mm-hmm. um, uh, Las Vegas, um, and then right. um, like Los Angeles or San Francisco or something. Los Angeles, San Francisco. Uh, yeah, and I know we're starting to see a lot of that in um, like the Seattle area as well because there's mm. spillover from Vancouver. Oh, really? Um, where you know you have a lot of those Hong Kong and Chinese investors buying up real estate in Vancouver. <laughs> Um, uh, it actually it's, it, it was interesting I was reading an article about this that oh, yeah. um, there's actually so much foreign money coming into Vancouver oh. to buy property that mm-hmm. and, and for the most part the the reason for purchasing the property is just to park the money somewhere so that mm-hmm. it, it can gain something from right. the, the valuation of the house going up or whatever right. um, but they're not even using these properties so like the, the city of Vancouver mm-hmm. has a housing crisis because there's not like people aren't uh, they're, they're not able to find homes because these uh, investors are not selling their homes they're just letting them sit um, so they've passed ordinances and laws and everything to, to try to change that where <clears throat> right. like uh, and, and like there, it's even gotten to the point where these investors, are paying uh, they they start up the utilities so they have water they have electricity and they pay someone to go there and turn the lights on and off <laughs> even though they don't, they don't no one lives there okay. um, just so that they don't have to like they can get around those restrictions mm-hmm. right but now they're actually um, starting to impose penalties and fines if there isn't anybody living in those oh, properties so they're forcing them to to rent them or yeah. to sell them wow. yeah and so uh, so to get around that they're starting to buy property like in Seattle, just across, uh, you know, the, the, the Canadian border. Uh, um, and so uh, they're starting, they're starting to see trends like that uh, yeah. along the Canadian border with other major cities. So like, you know, um, in Illinois and Michigan, um, parts of New York, right. um, you know, you're, you're getting that spillover from, uh, yeah. from foreign investors buying in Canada, starting right. to buy in the U S. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, cause look at, I mean, I guess it's, our market is much more uh, safer than these other countries, and especially Europe. And China's taking a big hit today. All of Asia's economic is hurt. So yeah, I can see, I can see them doing that. Um, so that's no surprise. That's interesting. So now that you've been here in Texas in the real estate arena and doing wholesaling. Um, yeah. Do you still keep your eye on the real estate market in New York? Like, do you look for deals there still? You know, not really. You know, I mean, you know, your average home out there is so so expensive that it's hard to get into a, a deal, and and I have to risk hundreds of thousands of dollars just to 
a buyer a, a, a deferred me to this property. So uh, I kind of cut my ties. I don't really have anyone calling me or texting me. What I'm trying to work on is trying to find private money from New York to invest mm. here. Sure. So I'm yeah. working with my mentor who has a fund and I'm working with him to see if he can uh, uh, do some projects with me here. As well as California. I have family in California that does real estate. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they see the prices here and they think it's a bargain. Yeah, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. just strictly looking at numbers, I mean, it's, uh, it just makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I'm hoping that Texas, because of its just the sheer size of Texas, mm -hmm. that that kind of helps create a buffer in the growth of the markets mm -hmm. um, because you know, you're, I mean, you're, you're right. Like people in California and New York see the Texas markets and they, they're flocking here because it's, they can get more bang for their buck, you know? And yes, housing costs are much lower. So, you know, your rents aren't, aren't going to be as high as what you might see in California. Right. But again, it's, a, it's just strictly numbers. I mean, your purchase price is a lot lower right. and it's, it's still comparable. It's but sure. for what, what you would buy with one property in California, you can get maybe three or four over here. So right. you're still getting more return for the same amount of money. And, um, and, sure. and I know that there's a lot of California investors coming to Texas or putting their money in Texas. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what's driving the artificial cost of of homes in, in like here in San Antonio, sure. you know, like the, the price, the home prices are rising. Uh, that's a good thing, but they're rising a little too quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that is because the demand for, you know, less expensive uh, investment properties is, is higher and more people are coming here to, to yeah. make purchases and yeah. you know, they're willing to go higher than uh, to outbid other investors because, you know, like mm -hmm. if, if it costs 500,000 to buy a three, a three, two in California, right. that's maybe 1200 uh, square feet. And you can get the same property here in San Antonio for 170,000. Mm -hmm. Like you, you'd be okay with paying 200,000 for that property because right. it's still a better deal. Right. You know, whereas someone who's local, if you see it as, at 170 and then mm -hmm. someone says they're going to offer 200,000, you're going to be like, well, that's stupid. Like, I'm not yeah. going to do that. Right. You, you can let them have it because that's, yeah. that's overpriced. Yeah, it's the comfort level. The yeah. Comfort level. And then right. they buy it at 200 and now everybody's doing the same mm -hmm. thing and they're driving up the, the prices of homes because mm -hmm. you pull up the comparable sales values and yeah, now you see true. that the last six months of sales have been a lot higher than the previous six months. Um, but you it's, know, it's an interesting cycle. Yeah, it is an interesting cycle. And you always want to make sure you're comparing home price values going up to your income ratio. The income right. of, a, of a community, income of uh, the, your, your, your personal income, right? Your, your yeah. wages right. have to correlate with the prices going up. Right. And that's one thing I learned from the OE collapse. Yeah, and that was that was uh, like the primary right. indicator right. for when the collapse was going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, there's... I don't remember what that number is. There's a threshold that once it, it goes past that, mm -hmm. um, it, it's not so much a, uh, like there's no turning back kind of situation. Like it still can be corrected, but the likelihood of it being corrected safely is mm -hmm. very, very low. It's basically like, yeah, once you go past that number where you're mm -hmm. the percentage of, of growth in housing mm -hmm. prices 
is a is a certain ratio higher than the percentage growth of your of wages, right. um, then you know that it has there has to be a correction. The good news is we all know that nationally wages for medium income owners have gone up <laughs> in the last two years, so that's a good thing. So I'm very bullish with the market. Just just a side note with the market here in San Antonio, I think it's going to continue to uh, appreciate and have a healthy market for the next six years. I could probably almost mark the date, but I won't. <laughs> well, I, my, my little prediction is when there is a correction right. that the, um, the wholesale companies that are based in San Antonio, uh, are going to dramatically, uh, shift there yeah they're all going to consolidate but, i mean yeah. the the smaller ones that don't really know what they're doing are going to uh, split up or they're going to be uh you know disappear absorbed up <laughs> into another organization and that one's going to become bigger right. um, and then you'll have a handful of like major players in the game in, in this area um and then you know the cycle will just repeat itself again yeah and and the uh strategy or the uh, exit strategy or the type of product that you're going to see on the market is going to be different, right? Right. You'll see more sub tools. Yeah. We're definitely where right now we're focused mostly on fixing flips and stuff like that. Absolutely. So. Cool. Well, we're pretty much at our time, and uh, this was a, a fun conversation for me. As everybody who follows Hillco Homes knows, I'm the uh, systems guy. I'm a numbers person. I like the analysis of things. And uh, yeah, this is a right up my alley. I, I definitely enjoyed this conversation. And thanks for uh, sitting down and talking with me, Hernando. And uh, I hope that for our listeners, um, this was uh, very valuable. And we brought uh, a, a lot of great content for you to think about. Um, but before we uh, finish off the episode, I just want to do a couple of uh, announcement things and say that you know, we're in our new office. We have our little media room, which is great. And I'm sure you guys could probably faintly hear uh, Marco and Hillary's baby in the background, you know, making his uh, baby talk and crying every now and then. But, you know, it's a, it's a great little family that we've got here. And we've definitely have big plans for growth. And uh, if you're an investor, regardless of where you are at or where you are from, uh, reach out to us. We got tons of deals. If you're a wholesaler and you want help moving your deal, um, you know, definitely reach out to us. Hernando is a great resource. And, um, you know, we've got a buyer's list that you can tap into by sharing deals with us. Um, and, and we can, we can do the same with you guys. We got plenty of deals that I'm sure your buyers would be happy to, to take up. And, um, you know, we've got our video courses. If you want to learn more about, uh, negotiation strategies. If you want to learn more about lead generation, we got a new video course coming out on uh, the details of uh, uh, title and contracts uh, on all that process. You know, just keep following us, uh, um, especially on Facebook and Instagram. We got a ton of new content coming out that we've got planned for you guys. It's going to be great. Um, this year is going to be a huge year for Hillco, and we want you guys to follow it with us. Um, so yeah, you got anything else you want to add, Hernando? No, we're good. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.